Three week, it's Friday, it's game night, but I came up for shoot arounds on Thursday in practice yesterday, and there is definitely a different vibe rising in the Infinite Energy Arena. Now, the eight teams came in filtering in on time through their allotted time slots, fighting off Atlanta's notorious horrific traffic combined with thunderstorms. Now, each player came in smiling, they had a little Hitching the giddy up, and you can see where they'd rather be on the court than outside. You saw where the joking and the ribbing was constant through the welcoming hugs and fist bumps. But you, you sense that competitiveness, but you also see the appreciation of each other, their friendship, uh, and the camaraderie. Now, it's game night, and now the buzz is even bigger. It's increased alongside the base thumping inside the arena. Now, Ice Cube has arrived and he's focused in on, on the event as the founder of the league. The stars begin entering the arena and we got people like Two Chains, Jermaine Dupree, Young Jock, The Brat, we got comedy legend Cat Williams. You got sporting royalty like Chris Webber and Dennis Scott. We got Super Bowl champions Champ Bailey and Dion Grant. And we also had NBA legends Antonio Davis, as well as my next guest, former All-Star Dale Ellis. Oh yeah, it's all about the drive, baby. This is The Drive, this is Ryan Blake. We're here at the Infinite Energy Arena where the big three has their final stop of the season before the playoffs. And I'm here with legendary NBA player, Dale Ellis. Now, I wanna go through kind of a timeline and I've got lots of questions because you just slightly uh, older than I am. So I, I got the benefit of watching you ahead of me when I was playing basketball growing up and also when I first began scouting. And I know that, so when you went to Tennessee and then when you got drafted in 1983, you were the ninth overall pick by the Dallas Mavericks and then traded to the Seattle Sonics a little bit later. Uh, and your minutes improved as well as your scoring from seven points to 25 points per game. And I remember this at the time, you won the most improved player. And I always wanted to ask you, when Bernie Bickerstaff, right, was coach, yes. right? He said, okay, what was it that said, okay, I'm getting you out of your the swing mode, I'm giving you more minutes, I'm getting you out of the post? Is that what he did? Or how did you become the great shooting guard, you know? Well, you know, I was drafted as a post-up player. I played right. with my back to the basket. I was one of those players that did exactly what my coaches asked me to do. So I played center in high school. I played a little center and um, in college. You know, a little power forward. When I was a post-up player, I, I scored a lot of my points in the paint. Um, forced to play that position. But in the pickup games, you could catch me posting up. I was always working on the outside shot. You were? Okay. Yes. Yeah, my dream was to play NBA basketball. So I know if I was going to get to that level, I had to work on other aspects of the game. But 
Bernie noticed me in practice, you know, saying warm up before practice, my shooting range. So he switched me from the three to the two. Like immediately? Immediately. Wow. Yes. Right out the training camp. He moved me right over to the two position and told me to shoot the ball. You know, um, I turned the ball over a couple times early in the season. He said, listen, you just came from Dallas. If you insist on passing the ball, you sit out. <laughs> so, you know, you're here to shoot the basketball. Your teammates expect you to shoot it when you catch it. So I started letting it go. But you probably you had to develop different skills and work on different perimeter skills, right? Ball handling skills and stuff well, like that. Limited in that area, you yeah. know. Uh, there was a lot of times like early in the, early when I made that, that, uh, that transition. It was Xavier McDaniels playing a three spot that would bring the ball down the floor. Yeah. So all I had to do was run, run the floor yeah. and uh, work to get open. Wow. Um, all right, so you played 18 seasons in the NBA, and you've always been known as one of the greatest shooters to step on the floor. Now, you had a career 40% shooting percentage from behind the arc, and that is, it really is unbelievable for the, that many years. And you were the first player to reach the, reach the 1,000 three-pointers. And at the age of 37, uh, you won the three-point shooting contest. The same year, you were shooting 46% uh, from behind the arc. To me, that you know, you look at, at at that at that time was amazing. Now let's talk about today's. You know, we have so many NBA shooters today that. Uh, and how do you compare those shooters from the yesteryears? And how do you see the game evolving now? Uh, it's kind of hard to compare. It'd be interesting to see how some of the guys that are playing great basketball today play in our generation, because some of the rules, the rule changes. Yeah. Especially the hand check. Physicality. Yeah, the physicality. Yeah. The hand check of rule on yeah. the perimeter. So. You don't think that they would be as successful? Um, I'm not sure. Yeah. I mean, they're great athletes. I'm sure they're able to adapt. You know, they're fun to watch right now. They get up and down the court, and they can shoot the lights out of the ball. Uh, yeah. So they would have to make the adjustments to playing uh, the physical basketball. There is an evolution. Yeah. You, you, yeah. you have to adapt. That's a mm -hmm. great point. Okay, so what would you tell young players uh, about learning to, sh to shoot the ball? Or even playing now. Well, a lot of it, a lot of it's just confidence, you know. You just teach them the simple fundamentals of uh, shooting a basketball, letting it roll off your fingertips, and and uh, shooting it up and over, and not worrying about it so much, you know. Enjoy what you're doing, and just visualize the ball going in the basket every time you shoot it. You're gonna start making shots. All right. So, my father and I helped pick the Playboy All-American basketball teams back in. in the day and and until I don't know the last ten years uh, I interviewed Gary T Cole, who was one of the guys that uh, that we worked with with Playboy, and uh, back in the eighties. Now do you remember because you were on that Playboy All American team one year, and there was Pat Ewing, Ralph Sampson, Michael Jordan, Perkins. What do you remember? Because I, I think at that time they used to take you up for the weekend, right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we had a chance to go to visit a mansion. Hefner was not there. Yeah. But it was a nice tour of Chicago. So it was West Coast or it was Chicago? It was Chicago, Chicago yeah. yes. And I had never seen Chicago, so we had a chance to go down to Wrigley Field, you know, and uh, Sears Tower, which is one of the tallest buildings in the country. Um, so it was a wonderful experience. And just getting around some of the best guys in college basketball, being in their presence, and hearing them talk about basketball and where they're from, that was a nice experience. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, all right, so we're here at the Big Three. Uh, many of the players playing here are former NBA greats that have recently left the NBA. Some are playing internationally and some are retiring. Um, and there are a lot of difficulties, you know, for people that make that transition mm -hmm. when they retire. 
how was it for you uh, when you became you know non-active player? I mean, is it was it difficult for you or? It was. You or know, were you ready? I was. I thought I was ready. Yeah. <laughs> I had another year left on my contract. I, oh, you I, did? Yeah, and I walked away from the game. Wow. Uh, I looked at my daughter's situation. She's getting ready to go to college. Yeah. And she was playing tennis. A great student. Really? A tennis player. I thought she could have played on a professional level. Wow. So I wanted to spend that last year with her, uh, working with the mental aspects of the game. Did she uh, keep her game up? No, oh, she tennis? she chose to go to USC in California. They had the number Play one tennis? girls tennis team in the country. Dang. She had scholarships for other schools, but she chose to walk on there simply because she wanted to enter their film program. So she's more academic than athletic. And I was always trying to create a balance with the two yeah. because I didn't have that balance when I was young. Is she here in Atlanta? No, she's uh, actually in. Um, she started to go back to school after six year layoff. Yeah. She's in Cape Town, South Africa. For real? Yeah, getting her doctor's degree. Wow. Yes. Doing film? Doing film, yes. Oh, mm-hmm. that's crazy. And she's still playing tennis or not? I got to, Don't, play, I got to play. I won my only professional tennis tournament in Johannesburg. Right. And uh, it's a great place. Do you, have you been? Um, no, I haven't been yeah. there. No. All right, put that on your bucket but, list. You know, she, uh, the, the transition was kind of difficult. You know, you, you wake up every morning thinking about, and the first thing you want to do is go get a workout in. You feel like you haven't accomplished anything if you don't get a, get a good sweating. Yeah. So, first six months were were hard, were hard to do. So, uh, it still gets me motivated. Basketball was always an outlet for me, you know. So if something was bothering me, I go play basketball until I couldn't play anymore. Really. So I always felt like uh, if you work your body, you work your mind. So I was able to clear my mind and see things a little, a little better. So, what did you think that you were going to do something in basketball or? Um... You know, or or did you have any idea what you you know a set goal that you were going to do, or no, just stay busy? I was married at the time. We had a business that we had created, okay. so I could have walked right into that. Um, I was going to stay around the game of basketball. I like teaching, so I'm around young people. I was running basketball camps when I was an active player. Uh, so when I retired, I got away from it for a moment and uh, took a look at my mother's situation and. Decided not to throw my name in the hat to go into working with uh, working with basketball. I took care of my mom for several years. She passed okay. away a few years ago. I'm sorry. So I'm back into basketball now. I got blessed. I have a seven-year-old. Be eight in September. So I want to. Bring, he's a good student, but I'm I'm trying to create that balance with him as well now. So he doesn't play basketball. He's a soccer player, but I'm getting ready to bring him up around the game. Oh, that's mm-hmm. great. All right, so so you're still around it, and now we're here at the Big Three, and you and just I think it was yesterday you helped the Big Three uh, three on three youth uh, camp, or yes. yeah. So tell me a little bit about that and how you got involved with that. It was a youth three on three, and uh, the guys that's uh, running that that program is uh, Jerome Williams, and Jerome Williams is president of the uh, Las Vegas chapter of Retired okay. Players Association, and I know Jerome because I'm president of the Atlanta chapter. So he gave me a call. He's looking for players in the Atlanta area to uh, to come out and help out with that, uh, with the kids. And what they did was it wasn't a camp or a clinic. They actually do the same thing that uh, Victory is doing. They did. They play three on three. Yes. Okay. So it was fun to watch. Well, you you just said okay. So you've been with uh, the National Basketball Retired Players Association for a while, and you served as the president of the Atlanta chapter yes. for how many years? Five years. Five years. Mm-hmm. And uh, tell me a little bit about that, because I know that you got a charity coming event, that tea party, and I want to ask you about that. Right. Tell me a little bit. Of, uh, um, 
about what you yeah. do. My job is to uh, to try to work increase membership. First and foremost, you have uh, about 60 retired players living in the Atlanta area. They're not all members, so I try to recruit them to membership and uh, schedule meetings, put our heads together, and um, sort of put events together and raise money for charity. For the past three years, we had an exhibition game. We were raising money for Breakthrough Atlanta. And Breakthrough Atlanta is a nonprofit that, um, that teaches kids during the off-season. It's an eight-week program okay. to get them college prepared. So they need uh, transportation for the kids. Mm -hmm. uh, they need to house the kids. So they did that. That's out a lot of work. The loving school, feed them, yeah. and hire teachers. So we have raised money for that. Uh, we did that for three years in a row. Now we broke off into something different. And during the holidays, every year we give away turkey to families in need. So you have guys living out throughout the Atlanta area. So we try to space it around. And we got a number of players here, like Mockboot's here, mm -hmm. uh, Stoudemire's here, Salim, uh, a lot of players, Mario West, mm -hmm. um, that are playing in the big three. Right. Uh, so you got a lot of players. I don't know, you know, why they come back here. I don't know. It's not the traffic, the humidity, but. Uh, <laughs> or right, tell me about the charity event coming up here, the, the tea party, because you have a you have a good charity coming up. Right. Uh, We're no longer doing the. the uh, the exhibition game with for Breakthrough Atlanta. So we decided, and it was the wives' idea, to do a tea party. And we chose the charity of uh, human trafficking. So we're raising money for Wellsprings, which is a safe house. Uh, once the kids are uh, rescued from, from trafficking, they go to a safe house, and uh, Wellsprings actually, I guess, have getting reacclimated back to society. So okay. we felt, I, I looked at that, uh, it was dear to my heart and I'd be dear to a lot of people's hearts. The idea is to try to raise as much money as possible and, and, and give it away. So what is a tea party? Are we talking about like, you know, we're gonna go and have tea, tea. and biscuits and all that kind of stuff? Do, <laughs> I, do I have to dress up really, really nice? Or do I have yeah, to, is, is this like old English stuff? I mean. You know, pretend like it's a derby party, you know? Okay. Wear your hat, wear your linen. Okay. Yeah. I got some hats for sure. <laughs> All right, so that's not the only thing you're doing either, Dale. I mean, you got this new business here, Game Face Sports Influencer Agency. Mm -hmm. Tell me about that. This seems interesting. This is exciting. Um, a friend of mine, Christopher Anderson, introduced it to me. I thought it was a, a no-brainer. There's no money in, involved in it to make it happen. Uh, teamed up with Brian Jordan. I've known Brian for maybe five, six years now. I uh, play at his golf tournament, play a lot of uh, charity golf tournaments, so Brian's involved with us. Uh, it's just giving guys an opportunity to uh, get income off their names. So we're doing this, uh, you can do this actually around the world. So wow. we're trying to grow their, um, their their awareness through social media. That's all, and of course, I mean, shows social media, I tell you what, like, just me getting back on, not just tracking my daughter's Instagram, but mm -hmm. you know, just uh, it's amazing. Uh, like everybody here, um, uh, th this sounds exciting. Mm -hmm. um, I got a chance this week, I got a chance to talk to Josh Childress and he went back to Stanford to get his degree. And I uh, also heard many other players in the NBA are doing the same thing. Um, you were the first person in your family to earn a degree. Right. What advice would you give young players or NBA players about getting a college degree? Oh, it was the most rewarding feeling I've ever had other than having my children, you know. 
I mean, just getting that degree gave me the understanding that I can accomplish anything I set my mind to. That's what it made me feel. I didn't care much about school. I, mean, I talked to kids in camps when I worked with them. I used basketball as a tool just to get in front of them and, and mentor them. It was teaching them simple life skills through the game as well. But uh, it was a rewarding feeling. Uh, I could accomplish anything I set my mind to. So I tried to create a balance for academics and athletics with kids, and I didn't have that. I did just enough to get by. And when you look back at that, you re regret it. You yeah. wish you applied yourself a little bit more. Right, there is a regret. Right. And you, you, would you agree it opens up more doors? Too? Absolutely, absolutely. So I'm just proud of my children. I got two kids with college degrees now, and one's going on to get her doctorates. Wow, mm -hmm. that's great. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so this ticks me off a little bit. You, you look in great shape at 58? 58, right? yeah. 58 until I'm 60. But I got to, uh, and we were talking. We were talking outside in the gym and asking what you do and and all this. And uh, I wanted to remind, like the listeners, you set an NBA record by playing 69 minutes in a game, scoring 53 points in a five overtime loss to Milwaukee in 1989. So I thought about that and I said, okay, did you cram? Did you, uh, what time did the game end? Because I don't remember this. And my next question after that is, when was your next game after that? Yeah, it was like running mud at the end of that game, trying to get up and down the court. I'll never forget stealing the ball at half court and um, get my shot blocked from behind by Alvin Robinson. I believe he ran the length of the court to catch uh, me. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, the worst thing about that game is that we had to go to Chicago and play the Bulls the very next day. The next day? Yeah, so I had to chase Michael around. This was, was this a day game or a night game? Night game. Oh, my God. So I had to chase Michael, so I guess you, you can picture that. Oh. We did a lot of double teaming. Yeah, that's like, <laughs> oh, how did Dale Ellis do against Michael? Well, Michael, I'm going to bring up this game. Oh, Lord. Well, listen, thank you so much for sitting down with me. Um, uh, we're here at the Big Three, and, um, you know, I know we'll stay in touch, but... Uh, Thank you very much, and uh, we'll see you down the road. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Yeah, it was a good night of basketball, and I really enjoyed catching up with Dale Ellis as well as others. You know, but I really liked the basketball. Uh, you know, I got to see 49-year-old Mahmoud Abdul-Rauf rack up 21 points. Reggie Evans, who was one assist shy of a triple-double. And, you know, the crowd was into it. Uh, at one point, they erupted on Jason Maxiel's huge put-back slam, as well as Chris Birdman Anderson's thunderous dunk at the last play of the game, to which he looked at his opponent's bench and may have yelled, tastes like chicken. So come back soon as we continue on the road with The Drive. Oh, yeah. It's all about The Drive.